0: You can imagine when you have a ton of like super spiritual conversations like that when you're 15 and also just like humming with sexual energy. Like you better believe as boyfriend and girlfriend, we were starting to do some stuff and I shit you guys, not literally the day after like we were making out and we started doing stuff. We weren't supposed to the day after I woke up and my purity ring had cracked. (laughs)
1: hey everybody welcome to another episode of growing up christian i'm sam
2: and i'm casey
1: and uh the other week casey i had facetimed you uh, because I had some stuff I wanted to go over a couple things to talk about. And it was really good timing. Um, because you had just gotten, I don't know. I think you I'm going to take this back a step as everybody knows. And if you don't, that's your problem. You need to go back and listen to it. Um, but we had Casey's wife, April on the podcast for Friday fellowship or fellowship Friday. Which one do we do? How do we call it? I'm,
2: I mix it up. I think it's Friday Fellowship. Friday
1: Fellowship. And I corrected you on it, and I was wrong. So I looked like an asshole, and <laughs> people got to listen to that. So that's funny. We'll just switch it every episode. <laughs> uh, so, you know, your wife does the cosplay. Uh, your wife. She has a name. Now it yes, looks like April. I'm just dis- using distancing language. I don't know. I'm going to – all the sociologists and psychologists can um, explain to me what just happened there. But um, <laughs> so – she had received a message uh, from someone while I was talking to you, uh, maybe to her inbox, uh, one of them on the socials. And you, um, I, just, I caught you at the right time because you had her phone in your hand and it was a guy wondering if she does dick reviews, which is a thing.
2: On... Apparently that's a big deal. Yeah. Like, that's supposedly, especially on OnlyFans, that's like a huge thing that a lot of girls do. But uh, girls that do it, Explicitly say, I do these not for free, not for fun, but for money.
1: Yeah. <laughs> they will do them,
2: you know. So it's like it's kind of a shot in the dark and not real cool to just uh lob your picture at uh a, an unsuspecting lady, yeah, or man for that matter.
1: Now it does come through blurred out, it's like they recognize that that content is um not for everybody, uh, and it was blurred out so. But I just was excited. I had the privilege of being on FaceTime at the time. So Casey's like, hey, do you want to see this picture? And um, he explained to me the situation. I was like, fuck it. Yeah, this sounds like fun. So uh, we clicked that we wanted to see the image. And it, it was, was like just, an unboxing video. Yeah, it was just like super tatted <laughs> up, dude. He had like a tattoo all the way down his uh
2: What do you call those uh, porn
1: lines or cum gutters, depending on (laughs) it.
2: It's stretched onto his backboard.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And um, it was just interesting. I I mean, you know, he was just what? Standing there with a direct dick. And that was new for me to just be like, oh, this is a this is a world that people live in where you would look at that and get paid to go "Mm, six out of ten. Yeah, that's fine. And you're going to have confidence going into that, man. You have to have a, a real level of confidence being like, because if you think you have a two, I mean, you're probably not going to send it in, right? No one wants to hear. Well, maybe. Yeah. Some well, people I are mean, unless
2: humiliation it. is a yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Some people like to be humiliated and mocked, but I feel like <laughs> that's another separate lane that you have to, uh, you have to find somebody in that lane before you do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this guy had a giant tattoo of an elephant on his stomach oh. And that kind of extended down onto the backboard region. And I was telling my buddy about this last (laughs) night and, uh, he's like, so was his dong the trunk? And I was like, no, it, it wasn't. And how do you come that close to like such an eternally good punchline? Right. And not go for it. I don't know. I mean, he missed
1: a seriously good opportunity there. And speaking of missing seriously good opportunities, we don't want to do that. So we were thinking that in order to grow I this thought,
2: platform. I feel like we had the exact opposite conversation before we press start. What? Yeah. I mean, hey, look, it's not going to be our bread and butter, but, you know, we'll, we'll take a look. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. That's what I'm getting at. We don't, we
1: don't want to miss an opportunity here to, I don't know, we're trying to grow something here, right? And I think a good way to do that is to start start our own dick review. We can offer dick reviews. And I would say we're probably more impartial judges.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, I mean, we're not overwhelmed with them, you know, so like it's a it's like an it's an occasional treat.
1: Yeah. I would say <laughs> if you want an honest opinion a truly honest, opinion. look, if, if you're paying somebody for it, they're going to be like, wow, that's a great dick. Ten out of ten. And you're going to go home and feel happy. Look, look pressure's off it's not sexual if you're just genuinely curious about your dick then we'll then we'll rate it for you and we will give you an honest opinion so that's we're gonna get into that opportunity maybe we'll uh we'll make our own only fans just for that and i don't know we'll see we'll see where this yeah. goes we might be posting some links
2: <laughs> it's, a, it's an avenue we're exploring yeah we're not there yet uh we don't have the infrastructure in place yet for uh you know, the multitude of, of pecker picks that we'll probably get.
1: Yeah. We're probably going to get a bunch of dick picks now. That's my fear is that our, uh, our inbox is just going to get blown up with dick picks and (laughs) just off a joke.
2: (laughs) Hey, if it's obviously not yours, we're, we're going to have to ban you too. So have some integrity, you know, This (laughs) and this is—we're <laughs> all about
1: integrity. That's why—that's um, why we really are doing this to begin with, because integrity is important to us. We want to speak our truth, you know. So,
2: Judeo-Christian
1: values exactly. So that's—that um, was a fun place to start. We've now, um, you know, anyone who came stumbled across us uh, for this for the first time is uh, knows what we're about now and. We, uh, <laughs> we successfully pigeonholed ourselves. Get a couple of sure. bad reviews off of this. Um, <laughs> so you, let's see, let's let's jump over to you, Casey, because you just got back from vacation the other day and you I were did. out traveling the country for a little bit. You actually, we did our last intro from your vacation and you uh, only just got back. So you're a busy guy.
2: Yeah, we kind of spur of the moment decided to go... North and west. So we went to the Black Hills for a few days, which is where we were uh, when we did the last intro. It was pretty fun. Went to Badlands National Park, which is real cool. Weird desert setting. Used to be underwater millions of years ago. Just that interesting place. How, like, how, many, how
1: many years ago? Sorry.
2: Well, uh, you know, supposedly millions of years ago. Uh, of course, we all know that it happened during the the great flood, flood, which yes, was like yes. 400 years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, you know all fossils made at the same time, or else put there by God to test our faith.
1: Yes. Okay. So, so continue. Now that I just was wanted fun. just wanted to get that out of the way.
2: Yeah, we got like 30 yards from a massive bighorn sheep, the big curly horns. You know, oh, yeah, I, those are way bigger than I thought. Like those are small. They're like, I, like I, I thought of them as like a domestic goat would be what it oh, would yeah. look like. They're huge. I mean, they're like very large. So that was cool to see. We went to uh, oh, so misadventure. When I was doing the intro, I was at our we had an Airbnb in Leeds, South Dakota, which is up okay. in the mountains. Um, I had booked the thing for I don't know like four nights or something like that. Um, I had originally booked it for five. And when I went back to actually like confirm it, somebody else had already booked it for like the last night that we were planning on being there. Oh man. So I had to change our plans. I guess I did not mentally note that we were staying there one fewer night than I had originally thought. So we get up the last day that we're supposed to be there, last full day or whatever. And we drive like an hour and 45 minutes South to wind cave national park, which is apparently Like one of the biggest cave systems in the world, and uh, you can go down and explore it and go through a whole bunch of things. It looked really cool. We bought tickets to go into the cave. Yeah, it was. It was looked like it would have been great, but we uh, we buy tickets and stuff, go out and start hiking. We get like a mile from the car, and uh, I get a phone call, and it's the lady from the Airbnb, and she's like, "Hey, uh, just wanted to check with you. The the cleaning folks stopped by the apartment and." Your your stuff's still there. <laughs> oh my god! I'm like, y- yeah, y- yeah, it it will be until tomorrow. And she's like, "No, uh, last night was your last night," and I've got people coming in this afternoon. Oh no! So, so we're like, "Oh my god!" So we turn around and like sprint back to the truck, like a mile jump in, drive like another hour and 45 minutes back to the apartment, slam all of our stuff into the suitcases and everything. And then like, you know, we're out of the place within like three hours of her calling probably two and a half hours. So that was a, a mess. We didn't that get sucks. to really see wind cave.
1: Yeah. That's a bummer. I'm, did you, um, she give you a bad review?
2: <laughs> no, she was super cool about it. I, I, apologized up and down. I'm like, look, I'm going to leave the apartment in amazing shape so that, you know, there's just really the laundry to do. So we did that. And so she was, she was real cool about it. She's like, I won't, I won't let this affect your, your rating. So uh, nice lady, but uh so we didn't have anywhere to stay that night. So we decided we'd just like head towards Wyoming, which is where we were going to spend the rest of the week. Went to uh devil's tower. What's which, that? Uh, you got to Google it. It's, it's weird, man. It's like in the middle of nowhere in like Northeast Wyoming, there's just this giant pillar of rock sticking up above everything else around it. It's huge. And it's made of like these eight foot columns of, uh, of solid rock that apparently everything else around it, like washed away and then volcanic activity or seismic activity, like pushed this to the surface. So it's just like this giant pedestal in the middle of nowhere that's pretty cool yeah it, you climb it? interesting is it like or is it just a look or like look at it there's no way up it i think people do climb it with like actual mountain climbing gear okay but the, it's like sheer cliff all the way around it so i mean there's no walking to the top or anything i mean it was like it was cool but we went into wyoming dude okay i gotta say Wyoming is fantastic. No one talks about Wyoming, but that place is great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like we went all the way across the eastern side. We went to, um, we stayed the first night in Buffalo, Wyoming, and then the rest of the week we stayed in Sheridan, tiny little towns in the middle of the range at the foothills of the Bighorn Mountains. And it's just a great place. Like the towns are like super clean, well kept up. Everybody like, the downtown area is like bustling all the time. Tons of restaurants, all sorts of cool outdoor stuff to do. I was just, I, man, the whole time we were there, I'm like, this place is incredible. Like, huh? why aren't more small towns like these? Because these are just great. That's pretty cool. And especially like no one go like, well, you do. I mean, you,
1: you'll just check out new places, do they, but like a lot of people aren't going to do that. I want, it's like, there's probably so many neat, like small towns in the Midwest, right? That, no one will ever go to yeah i mean there's a lot of crappy ones
2: i'll <laughs> say
1: that yeah you probably have to like weed through a lot of terrible ones before you'd find one that was worth it it's just that's there's, why no one finds them yeah there's definitely
2: like a an, a an archetype for towns in the great plains region where you like drive into town there's not a single business that's either open or in good shape like they're all dilapidated all the houses are torn apart but they have at least one to two really nice immaculate churches and one to two really nice immaculate banks.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The rest of the town is in ruins and everyone has to go. Everyone goes to the, like a couple of the there's like, I mean, if they don't go to that church, there may be like another one or two they go to, but you know, actually thinking about that. So obviously we were in Lynchburg, Virginia for a while with Liberty university and uh, there's churches like literally everywhere. I mean, you can't go more than 15 feet without coming into a church. And a lot of them are started by people who graduate from Liberty. And I think what's funny is, um, you know, everyone has this missional mindset, right? And then they go to Liberty and they, they want to become a pastor. They want to be a church planner and they study for four years. And as they're there, They all seem to have this unique idea of, you know, even though this is a really Christian area and there's so much access to the gospel, it's also like really dark. And a lot of people just haven't heard. And they don't, it's like, and they (laughs) start another church because they feel compelled to invest in the community that they've called home for four years. I'm like, yeah, this is a college town. Like move on, find a new place. Like I find that so fascinating. The amount, I mean, I know of, I mean, while I was there, well, like there was probably three, four, maybe five like trendy churches that like were all started by people who had graduated Liberty or were still at Liberty. And, uh, you know, I know some, people now who have churches there. And I mean, a lot of people stay there and I know there's a lot of people. So like, I don't know, but I do think it gets a little bit played out when people want to start that many churches in an area that's saturated with churches.
2: Yeah. I really don't get it. Like I remember back when we were graduating from Liberty, one of the kids that was kind of, he wasn't a friend, but he was kind of around. I remember he was going to like Las Vegas or something to do a church plant. Yes, and
1: I knew I, I wonder it's like, like, probably the same one I knew about. I knew like three people who took off to Vegas to be part of a church plant out there
2: i i yeah, I bet you anything it's one of them, but I was like, and it was named why? Grace or
1: hope or something like that. It's like a very I feel like it was something like I don't know forget it
2: <laughs> it's weird because like on the one hand, you know well, uh last week with Karina, you know, she talked about her church that she grew up in and, you know, is really more of like a community service group in a lot yeah. of ways than like a church. And in that way I could see, okay. Yeah, I get it. I mean, that, that makes sense. That seems like a good thing to do for people. Uh, maybe it's not the, you know, rich spiritual environment that some people are looking for, but it's a sense, you know, it's a community community and a place where you can do some good things and feel good about yourself, you know. Yeah. Like that kind of church planning, I guess I guess that's whatever. But uh yeah, for the most part, I just go why? Why another one? Like why do you want to do that again?
1: Yeah, and to me there's an it's like it has to do with the a conflicting mindset for me. Like the like the mindset that the people have going into it, I feel like is it doesn't match the outcome, like their intention doesn't match there i don't know there's a dissonance there that bothers me a little bit because it's like what if you're starting it because you think you need to reach people and that you're going to offer something that nobody else has that comes with a degree of hubris for sure but at the same time like if you start something that evolves out of just a group of people who find themselves connecting and they have a meaningful connection and they want to create that space to do that thing, then I don't really care about that. I mean, that's the same. Like, so when I moved to back to Massachusetts from uh, Virginia, I've mentioned before that I wanted, I I moved to Boston for a bit to be part of a church plant Um, and that church got Some money from like, it wasn't a Southern Baptist church, but basically was, I mean, because you, they were getting money from the Southern Baptist convention or Southern Baptist Uh, denomination. Uh, So when, when you're getting money from those churches, you do have to sign something that basically in effect, you won't teach anything against what they would say. And like the pastors are, have to sign something saying they won't drink and follow all their rules. So even though you're not Southern Baptist, you are you are i mean you or you lose that money at least um so one of the things that would come out is oh if as a southern baptist like from the southern baptist think tank group i don't know whatever you I don't really want to call it that but um they'll 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 say that like uh boston is considered an unreached people group when it comes to the amount of saved people <laughs> right
2: (laughs) yeah and that's the language they
1: use (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah. i've
2: heard that language applied to like uh tribes in new guinea i've never heard it applied to boston (laughs) right now
1: i know you've been to boston but maybe not really driven through it i'm not sure what how much you've like i've been been to lynn boston oh well okay it doesn't and it sucked yeah it's not great there um (laughs) so boston is like for this church is everywhere dude everywhere the problem is they're catholic churches
2: oh well and that's not yeah that doesn't count
1: it doesn't count so they actually will they i mean when they determine whether or not a space is an unreached people group they base it on um can you hear my kids screaming i don't know (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> just a little.
1: Yeah. Their bedroom is right above me. So we'll have to deal with that for probably a few more minutes. Uh, <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, so they determine it based on like ch- boxes checked, right? Like if they're doing a survey of an area and then like people are generally like non-committal to that, that theology of the Southern Baptist church, or they won't use the same type of rhetoric or, check the right theological boxes. They will say you are an, they'll call it like these people don't have the gospel uh, as defined by the Southern Baptists. So Massachusetts uh, or Boston particularly is considered an unreached people group, people group, even though there's like mainline Protestant and Catholic churches everywhere. I mean, everyone grew up Catholic. Everyone's Catholic. And to some degree, if you aren't practicing your parents are, but that means like you've had access to it and like but they want to pretend like these people have never even heard the name of jesus and you're like that's not true they say yeah. his name all the time <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> Jesus christ like christ. That's how this I guy was that uh
2: <laughs> there's this guy that wanted to go into missions at my church and uh it's a whole thing but anyways i remember like it started out as like we want to go to the jungle and and translate the bible and stuff okay yep. great you know and then uh he ended up getting married his wife had some health problems couldn't do that you know so they finally like settled on we're going to go to spain right and i remember him giving this presentation uh talking about their mission and what they were planning to do in spain and he's talking about just like how lost the country yeah. of spain is <laughs> and he he gets up and he's like Going through all these statistics, same sort of thing, Unreached people group, everything. He he goes, you know, and you just see the signs of it everywhere. He goes, I, one of the most popular songs in Spain is, it has these lyrics that go, I've, oh man, I can't remember the the words to it, but I've done this, I've uh, blah 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 blah, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for.
0: Okay, and I sit yeah, there thinking
2: yeah. of them like. Did he just quote a U2 song (laughs) as a reason to go to Spain? (laughs) Oh my God. You know what some of this is though? Like the church planning thing. So again, I work in the automotive industry. So I work with uh, a lot of repair shops and car dealerships and things like that. There's a lot of really good like independent repair shops out there. And then there's some really not good ones. And a lot of times what you find is that, This guy who was working at a dealership or another shop, he just cannot work for anyone else because he's dramatic or demanding or just a pain in the butt or can't show up on time or whatever. And so, like, after, like, the fifth place that he can't conform to the the policies and stuff, he's like, I'm going to start my own shop. Yeah, That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. I'm sick of all this garbage. I'm going to start my own shop. So, like, he'll just... Open a shop, you know, regardless of how many of them are scattered around him or how bleak the prospect of actually like getting a new business off the ground is, how little he knows about starting a business and running a business. Right. He's just like, "Ah, I know how to fix cars. I'll just start a shop. And I think there's a lot of that in that church world, too, where it's like, I want to be the center of attention. I want to do it my way. And so. I'm not going to go work for a church for a while. Like I'm going to go start my own.
1: Yeah. It's more, well, it's not financially lucrative. I mean, it can be depending on how you do it. Usually I I would say for most people starting a church they they don't have dreams of making a ton of money. Uh, and I know pastors are often, um, you know, they, they They get shit on a lot for that. And there's a lot of pastors making a lot of money when your church starts growing and you start just raking it in. That's a huge problem. And I will criticize those people endlessly. I think just to be fair, I think most people who are starting churches do not have any intention of really making money off of it. I think they all go into it knowing pretty much that they're going to
2: struggle financially for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like a lot of good people that start those things, too. Certainly. I mean, it's we're painting with a broad brush. Of it's course. just like growing up, you meet people and you see trends and you start to like you just see poor representations of a given, you know, a group or or life path or whatever else, you know, and it it kind of makes you suspicious over time, I guess.
1: Yeah. And sometimes you, I am not going to downplay the hubris of people who think, you know, I do have, like, I, I, I've heard it from these people and I've been to this church and I've heard, like you've, I've been around the Christian world and I've heard it given this way and that. And I just think I have a better, I think I can say it in a way that's going to be different in and of course, it's going to resonate with some people, and people are going to go there. But there is a bit of hubris to to starting a church when your theology is identical to the theology of many churches in your area, and and just doing one in that same spot. It's
2: kind of, i just think that's weird. I don't. But if you someone what, wants bro? to
1: try and convince me it's not, I would love to hear their argument.
2: <laughs> We're living in extreme days, right now. And sometimes they just need you to come at them like a whirlwind. Yeah, just uh, double, just like oh, saturate.
1: you just got to saturate the market because that's what's going to do it for people. It's like <laughs> they walked by 15 churches and they felt that whisper of God. But it, when, it, when they walked past our church, the 16th church, that's when, um, that's when God spoke to them. And they walked in and they got saved right then and there. So beautiful
2: stories. <laughs> all right so uh let's go ahead and introduce our guest for for this week because this was a fun episode we just had like that we did a couple of episodes in a row where uh we got done and we're just like man that was just like that that did not feel like we were we were talking for like an hour and a half like it was just a ton of fun hanging out with a couple of the new people that we've got coming up and Stephen henning is one of those
1: Yeah, Stephen, um, he's got host of, well, he's one of a few hosts for uh, a podcast that he's been doing. It's a, it's a theology podcast called Ravel. He has another podcast that he's been doing for a little while. They get, um, I think they're on episode 60 now called no normal people, which is, um, I was on a couple weeks back. Uh, we shared that, um, in our story back when the episode came out, but he'll talk about that. Definitely check out his, um, that podcast there. And then his, um, he's got a third podcast. He's an avid podcaster called the whiskey bench podcast. So he'll get into all of those and give, you know, when we close out, he'll give an idea of what all of those are, but, and they all part of um, a podcast network that him and his, uh, his co-podcasters have created called the Highline network. And, uh, he's a neat guy. He's a lot of fun. And, you know, just listen to him and you'll know why, He's uh got a few podcasts. He's got a good voice for it and uh good personality. And we had, it was just fun talking to him. Very uh, relaxed, fun environment. He's got some funny stories to share. So uh, we're definitely excited for you guys to listen to this one.
2: Yeah. If you didn't listen to the episode of no normal people, which is K N O W normal people uh, that Sam was on, it was really fun to listen to. Definitely go back and check that out. Yeah. And uh as always, uh, if you like what you're hearing, we would appreciate it if you'd leave a review on iTunes, uh, share with a friend. Um, Noah, I think a lot of you guys have been doing that recently, and uh, it's it's really cool, man. It's cool to know that uh, that you know we've kind of, we just got a good group, I feel like, going. And uh, the Discord is the place where you want to be a part of the group, you want to interact, talk about things, post funny stuff, uh you know, comment on the episodes and things. Just share your thoughts with us and with everybody else that's, that's involved. Uh, you can find the links to that in our social media. And uh, without further ado, enjoy our conversation with Stephen Henning. Hey,
1: everybody. We're back with our guest, Stephen Henning. Stephen, thanks so much for hanging out with us
0: today. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, see. I kind of feel like we're um, we're already a little bit of friends.
0: We um, I, I absolutely feel that way.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so for our listeners, I um I started connecting with Stephen a little bit through uh, he's got and we'll get to it in a little bit more detail towards the end after we hear a little bit about Stephen's life. But um, he's got a podcast called Ravel uh, it talks about different theologies and kind of goes in all different directions. But they post questions and do some like try to, you know, like any podcast, get people to interact with them through their Instagram page. And, um, uh, I would just find myself interacting from time to time and going back and forth with Stephen And I think it's Josh. Is it Josh? Is that the other guy?
0: Yeah. My okay. co-hosts are Josh Allen and Emily Reddinghouse. Okay. Yep. So
1: going back and forth to you guys. And then, um, and then I ended up doing your, you know, I saw that you guys have your, uh, another one of your podcasts, no normal people did that, and so over the past year, we've just kind of been going back and forth on Instagram, and then we recently connected on your podcast, and now you're here, so it's cool to have you.
0: It's it's. I'm happy to do the trade-off. Sam, it was so much fun to have you on our show and get to know you. I There are moments in our conversation from that that have been just kind of like spinning in my head for weeks now, afterward. Oh,
1: that's cool. <laughs> that makes me feel good about myself. I got what I came for. We can... This is good. Thanks.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Episode over. We're good. Have a good weekend. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Everyone take it easy. We'll see you next time. Uh, Steven, why don't you just kind of give us a snapshot of your life? My, you know, uh, start as far back as you want and whatever kind yeah. of go for. Yeah, it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I did a little bit of growing up in my earliest years in Brighton, Colorado. Um, and my my dad was. And still is actually, he works for the FAA, for the government, Works for the Federal Aviation Administration. So okay. at some point, um, he ended up getting a job offer to come out here to Billings, Montana, where I currently live, uh, to work at the tower up on the, uh, on the Rimrock Cliffs here in Billings. Um, so that's how I got here to Billings. Uh, my family has since moved on to Washington. He's moved to the Seattle area to continue his career. Mm. Um but I stuck around after graduating high school. This is where I w- met my wife um here at high school and you know we've never really left. But I grew up in a very um loving like very close Christian home. Um I say I say loving very close and Christian. However, I, I like I felt like most of my being raised Christian came from the church. We ended up going to like, honestly, the spiritual conversation didn't really come home very often. Like we were just really close. We got to know each other really well. My mom was my primary teacher. I was homeschooled up until the beginning of ninth grade when I moved on to public school. Part of the Um, club. Absolutely. The homeschool club. (laughs) uh, But (laughs) ended up going and joining the heathens in the, in the public school for high school.
2: You it know, didn't ruin you, know you though. It, it
1: didn't totally destroy your soul, so that's good. I'm glad. You know, you're not in a ditch doing drugs. You know, I'm Absolutely. gonna withhold
2: my judgment for the time being. Yeah. Okay,
0: <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, Casey, we don't know each other that well yet. We'll see how this goes. Right? I am suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So I grew up doing a bunch of like Awana stuff too. That was a, a kind of a highlight of my like later elementary to middle school years. Um, doing a lot of stuff homeschool co-ops all the way tiny yes. little like three people we called them choirs uh, like I'm a musician I like to sing I like to play guitar and drums and all sorts of stuff and our little homeschool co-op bands and choirs you know it's like two or three people for a choir yeah <laughs> um, and that was honestly the main motivation for me to go to public school in ninth grade my parents literally just left it up to me and they were like "Do I mean you you you've been loving playing drums this long with a homeschool band do you want an opportunity to go play with 50 other people at a time instead of like 10 Stecular other people?
1: people though that's dangerous they must have really well, trusted
0: you well at that point we were pretty locked into to uh the non-denominational like bible church that we were going to at the time so i had a ton of relationships already built throughout youth group so Honestly, the transition to public school wasn't very hard because I knew, you know, probably 20, 30 people that were oh, yeah. pretty, pretty like me already and that were successfully like uh, uh, being a little countercultural, <laughs> as the youth group was saying. Being say. approved yeah.
1: workmen who were unashamed. <laughs> unashamed,
0: yes. Very much approved. <laughs>
1: <laughs> who decides <laughs> if you're approved or not?
0: Wow. That is an excellent question. Do you
1: want a committee? You have the to, uh, one, is,
0: is there a committee? I honestly don't know what kind of structure there is for that organization. It kind of just seems loose. like one of those. Right? That's
1: actually a really... Ooh, that's something to dig into. I wonder if there's someone who is like... If, I wonder, yeah, what that structure is like, and who writes the curriculum. It's got to be like an actual organization. I wonder if there's it any kinda, defectors that would want to yeah, talk to
0: us. It kind of feels like a like a chapter kind of organ, like a chapter based organization. I almost, almost the parallel feels like something like Boy Scouts of America. Yeah. Or something, sure. Right. Where there, there might be an organization, but then it's just like wherever people want to start this club, we'll let them start it and we'll provide the materials. You know, what did,
2: what was the older, like it was a WANA at my church up to a certain point, And then I don't know if it was like seventh grade, eighth grade, it changed names. Was it like JV or something like that? Or. I can't remember Uh, what it was. I think I know what you're talking about. I feel like some clubs would
0: transition to a different, like, same, like, Bible memorization and, like, quiz-based game (laughs) night or whatever, you know. Balloon volleyball. Um, Yeah, JV sounds really familiar. I'm I'm only familiar with the Iwana structure, you know, (laughs) like... Starting with the Cubbies, go through Sparkies and get into TNT. <laughs> I forgot right? about those names.
1: <laughs> cubbies, Sparkies. Uh, it's so funny. I forgot about that. Yeah, those dude. Names. <laughs> I did some mild, I didn't attend to WANA. I did some mild volunteering in it.
0: Oh, okay. So you were, you were like holding the book while kids recited their verses to you and all that?
1: I, I don't, no, not even at that level. I think I would just like be in the gym while the kids would play games and try to help like, orchestrate that it's a very distant yeah. memory he was,
2: he was in yeah. charge of teaching them that dinosaurs weren't real yeah oh
1: <laughs> that their yeah. fossils were put in the ground by god to test their faith just and to some, make us
0: wonder right and somehow we're gonna do that by hosting game nights with multicolored tape and making them Run around in circles until they're tired.
1: Yeah, and it was like so. That's official. Then that multicolor. It's like you have the. It's like the. Squ- yeah, it's like squares. Yep,
0: red, yellow, green, blue. Uh, there were teams. Goes. You would line up on the the line, and then the white circle in the middle. That kind of like set on top of the four quadrants. Yeah, okay. and all sorts of different games we played.
1: The white circle in the middle represented uh, white evangelical nationalism. Whoa, <laughs> pure.
0: Purity. Do you think that they were doing that on no. purpose though, or do you think it was literally we're just we're
1: just going to play some games? There's red and blue and green, and oh, we got all these colors around here. But the centrality of this, that's holding all of it together, is well united. That was an accident. Yeah.
2: The okay. infrastructure of Awana, many many people don't know this, but it, you know it's documented. You can look it up. The infrastructure of Awana actually mirrors exactly the infrastructure of the Klu Klux Klan.
1: No way! Shut up. Yeah.
0: Huh.
2: Vertical ladder. I feel ladder.
1: like this is a joke. I feel like it's a joke. I, I don't have know to help how to read the here.
2: sarcasm well, in was the serious. room yet. I'm very familiar with the Ku Klux Klan, you know? Oh, right. Absolutely. I want to, or Cubbies, Sparkies, and then Grand Dragons. Oh, yeah. It's like the next. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you so forgot JV like the in Freemasons. the middle somewhere, right? Sparky's,
0: TNT, JV grand dragon <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> just right up on the ladder right
1: <laughs> similar st- that's that's like similar structures freemasons right they get weird structures like that
0: yeah that that's feels a, more that's like some one. freemasons uh, like f- the very little i've learned about them feel way more like some like D D rejects <laughs> like D and D for rumors. Seems, it seems like Guy Gax was more plugged into the Masons than anything else, right? Like you start talking about like level twenty six grand wizards or whatever, and you are like, "You yeah, played right. D D as a kid, didn't you?" <laughs> <laughs> that seems a, goofy.
1: <laughs> I get a friend from college. I mean, he was like an acquaintance. We would see each other at shows and would catch up here and there i haven't talked to him since i left but <laughs> you know facebook allows you to continually snoop on people and see what's going on in their lives even though you have no actual connection and um he became a he became a mason like a free mason. i don't know if, can you shorten it to mason i don't know um but he you know did his whole like induction ceremony and things like that and i know like at a low level there's like you know it's pretty like Apparently, it becomes secretive, but I don't really know to what degree, and I don't know if you can get people mm. to talk about it. But I want—it's mm. like—I find it super interesting because they're like Christian adjacent, but it's not
2: really Christian. But it—I I feel like okay, so my dad will, whenever the Masons come up he'll, my dad will tell a story about how like when we were in Georgia, there was a couple that was in their Sunday school group, small group, whatever, and the guy was a Mason, and and he had gone up a level and. When they were over at their house for Bible study, he he like showed some of the guys like this book that they had given him. And he said it was just weird stuff. Like, I don't know what all but the thing that he always said was like there was like a prayer to Isis in there, like the goddess of whatever. Oh, all right. It's been a long time, and that legend may have grown in his brain over time, but <laughs> sure. he's been telling yeah.
0: me that since I was like a
2: little kid. The story kid. gets
0: crazier every time he pulls it off the
2: shelf, right? I wonder
1: if you can, <laughs> <I wonder laughs> if you can find those books from like private sellers on Amazon, or if there's like a, the whole structure as a whole like instantly buys them up before they get into the hands of the public. But I want Oh, them. I don't
0: know. Yeah, one of those. It's a black market for yeah. <laughs> the, the, the pamphlets and materials. <laughs> Oh Did my you, gosh! Now I'm just imagining like Freemason, like tracks, <laughs> like Bible <laughs> tracks that you leave like tucked under the chair at the dentist
2: office, <laughs> yeah.
1: Freemasons and in the in right,
2: the secrets, like nightstand at the Hampton Inn.
0: Oh yes,
2: yes, absolutely. <laughs> With
1: your Gideon bi- next to the Gideon Bible.
0: No, it's a bookmark for the Gideon Bible. You open to John three sixteen and bookmark
2: it. <laughs> that sounds about right, <laughs> dude. You just did an episode on cults, didn't you? On, on uh, Ravel, we've done a few. It, that is one
0: area that uh, my co-hosts love quite a bit. Um, Emily, like throughout high school and college, was very fascinated with like serial killers and um, just like the psychology that goes into that. Those kind of people and that pretty well translates into the kind of people who become cult leaders and the kind of people who become cult followers and all that. And uh, Josh is particularly interested in, in that as well. I never, I, for one, like, I don't know, that bug just never really got me. Like I know that these groups exist and I like listening to the the one-off podcast about like heaven's gate or something like yeah. that, but I don't know. Like it's not the rabbit hole that I usually Dive down, you know, but oh my gosh, it's fascinating, especially to just like uh pick the brain of people who have studied it and just like looked into it. It's, it's wild. That's some weird ones out there.
2: Yeah. That, yeah. That's
1: Casey's yeah. thing. He's, he's always, that bug got him. So I'm sure uh, he could have some fun conversations about that. I just got in contact with somebody just the other day who, uh, so I'm from Massachusetts and who was part of like a, like a culty, I, I, it seems like it was an actual cult. I have to finish kind of listening to the story. She's got (laughs) a podcast about it. And, um, it was in Connecticut though. So that's instantly, I become more interested in things when they're like within an hour and a half driving distance from me. Right. I feel like, Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes so much closer to home. Like if you found out something happened in your state versus like a cult that happened like over in California or something like that, it it does make a difference in your level of interest because you could, it, it makes it feel like maybe you could have known someone who was in it or it's like, Oh shit, this stuff's really close to home. Whatever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what's the, what's the rule they put out where it's like, you're only six degrees away from knowing anyone on the planet. Like if you want to look for a connection to something, mm. you you're usually like, at, like at most six relationships away from finding someone that can put you in touch.
1: That is kind of cool to think about. I
0: believe that. <laughs> and, And even even that, man, especially just given the physical proximity, you have to
2: imagine like you probably know someone who knows someone that was in it, right? Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) What's like here in Wichita, there's a couple of weird things, you know, some of that of that subject matter. Sure. Um, Podcast that I really like. uh, Time suck. The guy recently did an episode about a cult based here in Wichita. It was like a small you know, more of like a Manson family type of a uh, group. And they're, I mean, literally like the, the main compound thing is like 20 miles from here. Yeah. Straight down the road from me, but it was called Angels Landing. And the guy just seemed like a an idiot. I mean, he just seemed like <laughs> a charlatan through and through. And he just talked these people into following him around and giving him their money. And then when they'd start to run low, he would talk them into basically often themselves to get their insurance money.
1: Oh so it wasn't shit. quite
2: as crazy as like a heaven's gate, but it's like it's right there. Whoa.
0: Yeah. Especially you dig into any one of those guys. It becomes about money, power. And eventually when the money and power get boring, it becomes about sex. Almost invariably. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like every time. And it doesn't even have to start there though. Like it might just be like you you're the one guy on the commune that gets to have sex with everyone.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, there's a <laughs> and thing then this there. a descent, right? Th- those dudes are obsessed with with control and power over other people, and so like once they establish like financial dominance and they're completely dominating these people's time and daily routine and and what they eat and how often they sleep and their activities, like they're not ever satisfied with that. So they're always looking to take it to like another more degrading level to where they they more completely own Hmm. their followers so it usually starts out like you know every one of them starts out with the cult leader all of a sudden proclaiming that like he gets to choose who gets married and he starts reassigning wives and husbands he decides when they can have sex and when they can't pretty soon he's the only one having sex with everyone's wife and it's like if he has enough time eventually he ends up banging kids. It's like a it's like happens over and over and over again in those cult stories. Right. And I think that's what that really showcases like what it's about for those dudes. They just every norm they want to overturn and do it like right in people's faces. Right. Should we pivot
1: to um, the parallels that you see in megachurches now, or should we leave that for later?
0: <laughs> oh, well, that's a good question. Well, so I, I suppose I should finish a little bit of my biography now that we've, we've, yeah, we've let's we chased down Juana's <laughs> at this point, right? Um, So definitely growing up in youth group, like I like to say the church I grew up in was, it was non-denominational, but like in the closet Baptists. Like the yeah. like, theology so closely aligns to anything Baptist they just didn't want to have like a church hierarchy above them it was Mm -hmm. like we're a local church we're just going to do this thing which was honestly fine like I I grew up and I like truly cherish many many memories of growing up in that church even the youth group like uh I have friendships today like 10 years after graduating high school that I wouldn't have had had I not gone to that youth group and like formed a relationship then like a couple of those guys became my roommates during college And like we were each other's best man at our wedding, like and and we still see each other like every week on the disc golf course, you know, or like grabbing a beer or something like that. So it's definitely not all bad. I think my my most fun youth group story is when we started getting into um, the true love weights curriculum nice doing the the purity rings and all that so again as a as a budding musician in my life now finally going to high school where i can like meet a lot more people and like play music with a lot more people i was starting to get in on the the youth group band as well and um somebody quote unquote discovered that i can sing like i i've been able to sing my entire life but i had always been on the drums because that was like my first love in music and then somebody's like oh you can sing can you play guitar like it would be so <laughs> cool to have you worship lead right um because if we're being honest i could sing better than a lot of the guys that were trying to lead the worship at the youth group yeah. <laughs> so they're like pick up three chords on the guitar right and just get after it man and i remember um gearing up for the the uh the purity ceremony which i don't know if you guys are familiar Oof. with that part of the curriculum but it's, no. it's like.
1: I'm After not familiar with you... the curriculum at all. I didn't do oh, that. So oh. let's get into what leads up to a ceremony.
0: Okay. Yeah. Ceremony is the perfect word for it, by the way. Picture like the church sanctuary, but dark at night with only candles. Oh the my room. God.
2: <laughs>
0: no way. Yeah. But so it was like a six week um, curriculum. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where's college
1: credit for it? No. Oh my God. <laughs>
0: Oh, um, well, would, would that count for psych credit, you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Diving
1: deep into that. that uh, yeah, so it,
0: it was like a six week curriculum and it's like it's it's the highlights of what we all know to be purity culture at this point. Right. Like, yeah, no surprises. Um, save yourself for marriage. Uh, the marriage is designed to be between a man and a woman. And, you know, the that the act of sex is the the covenant, like bringing together of two people. Um, and we, we had a couple like testimonials from our youth pastor and his wife and like a couple other leaders that like just turned into like teary nights of like, I didn't save myself, but then I got married and God turned me around and uh, and it was like, and I, I remember just being so thoroughly convinced. I'm like, Oh yes, absolutely. It seems like, like not even entertaining a sexual thought. Like, forget like having sex. I'm going to struggle the most with even just like looking at the wrong things on the internet and touching myself during that. Right. Yeah. Like um, very much internalized into just a ton of shame of like, wait, I can't notice that someone is attractive without like being afraid of that being the definition of lust.
1: Yeah, and- dude. It's so funny how <gasps> basic that guy, got- it, it really, it did turn that person's hot into I'm lusting. Oh shit. Like, Right, right. Real quick,
2: yeah. Which has and come up still a couple a lot times. Of people doing that.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think more people kind of see it for what it is, though. Again, it it does have a little hint of that control thing. I mean, like, what's the latest Matthew West? Like, hottest is yeah. or modest is hottest. Yeah. <laughs> that little slogan's
1: been around for a long time too.
0: Oh yeah, and he tried to make a satire video out of it, and then. Twitter just like completely
1: oh, dunked he got, on him. Yeah. He, people like rubbed his face in his shit for that real bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Did, did you guys ever get the, like one of the weirdest tangents I remember from that whole thing is like situations where the subject of masturbation would come up and someone would be like, look, uh, do I think that the act of, Of masturbation is wrong, not necessarily. It's the lust that's wrong. If if you can masturbate without lusting, then you know more power to you. But you know, for me, I just. You know, I just don't trust myself to do that. Like, this is a slope. weird direction to go.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I yeah. remember saying that to people in college. I actually yeah. never got, I no one <laughs> once in my life talked to me about masturbation. Nobody.
2: Maybe you're the one that talked to me about it. I probably, maybe said you're that a to guilt you trip you of me. In college.
1: <laughs> 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 I remember having that conversation with our RA about, like, but because those were the conversations you had as a freshman at a Christian college was whether or not it was okay to jerk
2: off. So, dude, our RA was like 6'8 and 350 pounds. I guarantee you he had a two hander.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yes.
2: (laughs) You know those big cans of Monster? Yeah. (laughs) They only sell at 7 Eleven.
1: It's like you're describing a
2: tall boy. Yeah, Yeah. a tall boy.
1: (laughs) Oh my God.
0: Okay, which which <laughs> my reference my point hurt. for a tall boy at that point, I'm not even talking about beer. I'm talking about those cans of like Arizona sweet tea you yeah, get at the gas like, station, yeah. right? Like <laughs> Perfect. Because I was a good Christian kid. I didn't drink until I was 21. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just talking about tea. Uh, anyway. <laughs> All right, um, back to
1: the purity ceremony.
0: Yeah. So this was, it was like six weeks of that. And I, I think the thing that I've uh, certainly deconstructed the most following that experience is... The difference between like you know men or boys like think about self-control and like don't look at women as something to be used um which there's like there's like a good message somewhere in there but then when it when it turns around and it's like women basically you pr- should probably just wear trash bags um <laughs> just to make sure you don't show off your physical form you know like don't cause a brother to stumble or anything like that right uh, I just recently saw a tweet. Someone said uh, modesty is not one of the fruits of the spirit, but self-control is. And I was like, (laughs) Hey,
1: (laughs) look at that. Look at that. Well done.
0: Uh,
2: You, (laughs) you get out of here with that.
0: (laughs) Well done. But yeah, so we finished this process. I am uh, becoming a youth group worship leader and I decided it would be the best idea to write a song about it. Um.
1: And you're gonna perform that song for us right oh. now. No, please do.
0: <laughs> I the, that song, the even like the lyrics to it are so deep and repressed memories at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could, but yeah, it was it was a song all about like, um, it was basically like trying to get out some sexual energy that we were discussing because obviously for six weeks as a youth group, like in a co-ed setting, right? Like I'm listening to my youth pastor and his wife talk about like how awesome sex is now that they're married. And I'm sitting like, (laughs) I'm sitting like 10 feet away from the girl I've had a crush on for like four years now. And I'm just like, what? Like it was, it was literally that feeling like you have way too much coffee and you're just sitting in your chair and you're just like, like you, you so antsy. You're just like vibrating. You're like, there's a lot of sexual energy even in the room with lucky youth pastor go- and his wife
1: talking about <laughs> yeah. it. But like, <laughs>
0: and, it, and it was one of those things where like, I wrote the song um, as like a special music moment for the purity ceremony. And it was literally like, if you looked at the lyrics, it would very much re- like reveal that I was trying to translate that literal sexual energy into like trying to interpret it as like passion for God or passion for like, mm. Hence worship right. music, like, right? Boy. <laughs>
2: you could go deep on that theme.
0: Hello. Yeah. So we we get all dressed up. Like they literally wanted us to dress up. So we all like all the girls wore dresses, all the guys wore like button up shirts and a tie or whatever. Ties that are like borrowed from their dad and they're like hanging past their knees. You know. Yeah. I'm just painting the picture. But uh yeah, the, the purity ceremony. Yeah, we invited we invited all our parents um to the purity ceremony after the youth group finished the curriculum and it was like on a sunday night we did a couple worship songs i uh performed my my sexy jesus song um <laughs> and then one by one like the youth pastor like we had all all been sized already for our purity rings and like one by one the youth pastor would like bring each ki- kid up and like give him the ring on like a pillow right <laughs> And be and it was literally like, with this ring do you promise to like do you promise yourself to God and to your future spouse?
2: Ugh <laughs> <laughs> you, do you know what would be more fun is if instead of a ring they gave you one of those like chastity penis cages yeah.
0: yes. Yes. <laughs> can you imagine a youth pastor putting that order in on like adamandeve.com
1: yeah
0: <laughs> it's like some kid in, in Los Angeles like we don't usually
1: get bulk orders for these <laughs> right? and it's his job to put them on everyone of course
2: your back right. is to the audience but he, he
1: gets the full frontal
2: as it turns out the the guy behind the entire uh purity movement is a commissioned salesperson for penis cages
0: <laughs> just raking it in i mean i mean maybe yeah go to extreme restraints.com to get your purity penis cage
2: he's driving like a lamborghini with a custom plate that says like god for locked jesus up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh Uh, i wish this was a real person yeah (laughs) i would love to meet him yeah this this fictional man we're creating is very uh yikes i mean we're (laughs) headed toward a cult right there yeah (laughs) right but yeah so it was like the room was dark the youth pastor was going through this thing handing each other like handing us all our rings um and like our parents were there and everyone was crying and it was like this big emotional moment of like look at the youth of today like standing up to uh what our culture is telling them sex is like sex isn't cheap. It's like the most sacred thing, which part of that, I still believe. Um, But I started going to public school. I became this worship leader and then I met my current wife, current wife. Wow. That (laughs) sounded like I've had, okay. I've met the girl (laughs) that is now my wife met when we were met when I was a freshman, started dating when I was a freshman and uh, she was LDS or Mormon at the time. Oh, no way. And I was the very uh, the the very brave man who had a crush on her that was going to like date her so that she would become a Christian, like missionary dating, as it's called.
2: Right. Unequal yoking right here. I don't feel good about it. I got a lot of advice about that. Yeah, especially (laughs) from my youth pastor. I, oh man, I remember
0: overhearing my youth pastor and a couple other, the youth leaders, um, they used to literally take bets on the couples that were in the youth group and they would like put money on how long it would take for them to break up or get Ooh, pregnant. And wow. it was like, okay, that's not cool. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's, I, uh, I did. I did learn eventually that there was a lot of money riding on me breaking up with Dixie and 11 years later, six years into marriage fuck you guys yeah.
2: <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> pay up you pricks yeah. we're doing all right owe you some money, <laughs> i feel like
1: man. i'm owed that money now <laughs> yeah you certainly are yeah let's yeah well we we'll just all uh mass message them let's send the, the crowds yeah. after them. right
0: so that <laughs> that eventually happened she uh professed herself to be an evangelical christian like i was instead of a mormon which to me it was it felt like i was literally like snatching someone from the uh the blue flames of hell right? yeah. <laughs> like, she was in the outer circle and heading deeper. And I was like, no, no, no. Um, but, uh, you can imagine when you have a ton of like super spiritual conversations like that when you're 15 and also just like humming with sexual energy, like you better believe as boyfriend and girlfriend, we were starting to do some stuff and <laughs> I shit you guys, not literally the day after, like we were making out and we started doing stuff we weren't supposed to. The day after I woke up and my purity ring had cracked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's like Lord of the Rings level. And my fucking neuroses, I was like, now I'm the one going to hell, damn it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's incredible. What were these things made out of? Uh, Like pewter. And it was like painted silver. Oh, basically. my God.
1: Yeah. What are the chances, man? Wow. If that doesn't convince you that you fucked up, then I don't know what would, I'm surprised you did just like stay in that lane for the rest of your life after something like that. I I took it as I, Oh yes,
0: yes, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. Um, and then we actually broke up for like a year and a half after that. And, uh, Oh, so they did
1: make some money off you guys. They may have, to be (laughs)
0: honest. Um, Wow, that's actually a really good point. Thanks for bringing that up.
1: <laughs> Just trying to keep you humble. you know.
0: So I did lose. As I as bro- did lose. It's a me. brother in
1: Christ. I want you to, uh, you know. Right, right, right right, right, right.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. So we uh, we started dating again, like um, right around the time I was graduating high school and dated for a couple of years during college. We both went to college here in Billings at Rocky Mountain and uh, like two years in still dating basically we were both just like we're tired of not being married now we've been dating basically off and on for five years um and we both like wanted to just take a year off of school and we got married that summer and we were just going to be like we're just going to take a year learn what it's like to be married um and uh and then we never went back to school and we continue to be married and we're just we're just here in billings um that feels like the the anti climax to the real story there, though. <laughs> Man, yeah. The uh, I still I still have like that that feeling in my chest sometimes, where I don't know if you guys struggle with this anymore, but like growing up in a in a a world and a culture like Awana and youth group and like that very evangelical setting, I have these moments, especially like post deconstruction or however we say it like I guess we use the word ravel on my other podcast instead of deconstruction but yeah even post like raveling out my faith and coming to different conclusions I I have moments um and I don't know if they're just like bad moments of anxiety but sometimes I get that feeling of like what if they were all right when I was a teenager right and what if I am like literally just the uh the conclusion to the prophecy of some people will walk away from their faith and (laughs) walk away from the right it's
1: funny i remember going through that a lot um i haven't it's been a long time since i've felt that way um if i'm I'm not completely sure of much but i remember when i first started changing my mind about things i was like god there's a a good like three four nights that i remember just being up for uh, probably most of it just laying in bed being like what if i'm wrong What if I'm wrong? And at that point I had not made any conclusions and what's crazy, but this is some of the things that kind of valid, like not at the time at night, anxiety is always like really shitty at night. Like, like if you wake up and have a bad, even just a bad dream, you're just like, everything's falling apart. My life's a disaster. You're like looking into how you can completely uproot and change your life at two in the morning. And you're like, and then you wake up the next day and you're just kind of fine again. So that of course is part of that. But (laughs) I remember thinking like, I hadn't even made up my mind about anything. And it's like, I learned enough from those people about what I thought Christianity was about to be like, and there was enough stories in the Bible about people who didn't quote unquote get it where I was like, okay, it's like the big problem here is me thinking or about whether or not this idea or that idea is true. And I'm this worked up about, uh, about whether or not I go to hell. Because, of yeah, that. right, like the, right. like it kind of helped me through it being like that doesn't even make sense like that is not what any of this was all about or what I thought any of it was about based on even what I was taught. So it's like to get to a point where if they can can if you can be that anxious and scared over something that's supposed to be about something more than just like be, to some degree it was believing the right things, like, Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior. But they, they had a lot of footnotes and they had a lot of like wiggle room. And I just was like, these guys that that felt really disingenuous to me from people who made you feel that way. Because sure. it was like, What I, I don't see that anywhere from Jesus. Jesus was just like, Hey, you don't get it, but thanks for showing up. Hey, you don't get it, but thanks for showing up. Like it wasn't the stakes didn't seem that high when I like looked at it from that perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like that. What I'm curious, um, Casey, to hear from you. I know Sam and I both still identify as Christians. I don't think you do at this point, at least from what I've listened to of the show already. So, um, like, do you do you ever struggle with any of those? Like, I could still be wrong based on the way you were raised. No, I don't (laughs)
1: actually. (laughs) You know, I think.
2: Damn, that makes me so jealous. Almost. (laughs) Well, that was like. I feel like my movement away from it was just a lot different than than like Sam's. And and, uh you know, a big part of what like bothered me the most was just like even even back to like dating and stuff. You know, I mm. my wife and I, my current wife and I dated. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you. So many wives did. left in your wake
0: and you have the current
2: one. <laughs> <laughs> we dated for like. Two and a half years. And, you know, like early on, we started like having heartfelt discussions about lines and things like that. And I just remember like the thing that I was most upset that that worried me the most was that like, I mean, early on in our relationship, we would do those things and you felt guilty like you had broken a rule, not like you Mm -hmm. had disobeyed God or that you had like this deep conviction about it. And I almost like felt guilty that I didn't feel worse about doing those things. And Whoa. I think that kind yeah. of moved that kept <laughs> going, like as I got older and and stuff and that's where, you know, it took me a long time to finally like just go, I don't, what am I, I don't even care about this stuff anymore. Like, Like, why am I still, why do I still feel like I have to pay lip service to this? Like, obviously, I I don't go to church. I don't read the Bible. I don't think about it on a regular basis. Like, the only time this comes through is when I I feel like I have to state my identity for some reason, you Mm. know, to to someone that I'm talking to or in regards to, like, some political thing or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, by the time I was, like it was really just more like an admission at at some point where I was like, I, I'm not, I don't have any connection to this anymore. Like I'm, why am I still pretending that like this is important to me? It's obviously not. Wow. Wow. I feel yeah. like
0: I'm starting to get the, just the beginning hints of almost that like guilty for not being overly guilty feeling um, like my wife and I, since the pandemic started, like we haven't gone back to church. And I like I, for one, don't feel like I want to or even need to like, I, I just have no desire. I'm like, wow, like an entire year just proved to me that I can have a spiritual life and have spiritual conversations with friends and like have a real deep connection with the people in my life that more emulate what I think church ought to be anyway. <laughs> right. Dude, Instead of like I feel doing that, doing the Christian TED talk with the uh, the Hillsong <laughs> concert. Right. Or like the it's, cover band of the Hillsong. Cause that's basically all worship bands are right. It's just Hillsong cover bands. At this point. It seems it's, if We're being magic. honest.
2: <laughs> I, I know people love worship music. Like some people really honestly love it. Yeah. But yeah. I never have. I've always felt like it was just, it just came across as so like boring and phoned in to me. And all the lyrics right. are like, you put keywords on like re- refrigerator magnets and just like, shuffle them around and boom we got a new configuration <laughs> yeah new worship song
0: chords. it's all just variations on a theme of like a few verses or yeah a few, a few so central ideas about like
1: at your unworthiness oh i'm so awful but thanks to you god i don't have to feel so shitty about myself it's like mm. the amount of like the amount of collective singing around people just being like i'm not worthy i'm not where it's like Oh my God. It, that wow. got old to me pretty. That was one of the first things that hit me when I was like, I hate this. This is all like, woe is me. I'm super sad. Like, yeah. but I'm worthless piece of shit, but you know, God's good. So this is awesome. And it's like, we're all singing this together. Like that doesn't sound healthy or feel right. right.
2: Or them, you know, like thirsty Sam, anthems. Hey,
0: there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> first trap Jesus music. <laughs> oh.
1: I can take us. I can take us on a fun little detour. I didn't know if I was going to get <laughs> oh. us into. Uh, Sam, I've
0: never made the connection as deeply as I just did now. Something you said basically sparked the idea of like we get we get sad or angry at stories of people who would like you know like the Catholic priests who would literally like whip them, whip themselves like self-flagellation. Yeah. Like, Scarring themselves in punishment for their sins while, like, while they're trying to pray the rosary or something like that. Like, there's something deep in us that's like, that's messed up. Like, you should not be doing that. And, like, I I feel like the line is usually like, Jesus took those scars so you don't have to, my friend, you know? Like, but why couldn't it also be the same that, like, Jesus took those insults so that you don't have to, like, be the self flagellating guy who's just like identifying with being a piece of shit.
1: Yeah. And right. Cause nobody actually, I don't, I'm not, I maybe mean, some people might feel that way. And if they do, because of that message, then that's, I think Yeah. too bad. And I know, right. I know the response to that from the Christian side is just like, no, the beauty of it is you don't, you are, but you don't have to feel that way because Jesus. And it's just like, I don't think that's the right message at all. I think that's why we're in this fucking shit. Right. Situation because on face value. Those.
0: Right. Because on face value, the message is literally you are not that anymore because you have like a new identity in Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. If you follow Jesus, it's a literal transformation.
1: Yeah. Which leaves everybody else who's not who hasn't had that transformation
2: to be pitied. Right. It's sad. That's <laughs> wow. <wild. That's wild. laughs> I always thought of like the self-flagellation thing is almost like this is just like some masked uh you know, some thinly veiled like Kinky Albert Fish type stuff.
0: We're back to bondage <laughs> for Christ.
1: <Yeah. laughs> exactly.
2: Yep. Good perfect callback.
0: I mean, that i's could been be naughty, it. naughty,
2: Lord. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: my god. <laughs> Punish me, daddy. <laughs> that could be it. You know, I I was curious to explore this um in in preparing uh, to come on the show. I was curious to explore the idea of like indoctrination certainly exists, right? Like growing up in a youth group that does like the purity ceremony or growing up in a Wana or something like that. Like indoctrination just does exist. I don't know how you guys feel. I'm kind of convinced that it's inevitable and that like everyone is literally indoctrinated and I don't know if it's a bad thing. There's just bad things to be like indoctrinated with.
2: Yeah. I think so. I mean, you know, that's just part of growing up, I think, is like you're you're young. You don't have any life experience yet. Like sometimes the best anybody can do for you is just to feed you like their ideas and life experiences on a platter and and, you know, understand that someday you're going to test those for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
0: totally.
1: One of the things I think in as some as a because I have to consider this a good bit at this point. Having two young kids, it's like, and how I what I want to teach them, I guess, uh, is, you know, we were all handed the message of, hey, this is what the truth is. The stakes are really high. I know you're only six, but fire's really hot, and you don't want to live in it. So you should really and figure <laughs> this out pretty quick, right? And, right. And so you you build like, uh, and then, but what's you, it, it that's not required for young children. Fact is, young children are going to believe what their parents believe, they don't have to give them this big, like, ultimatum, last meal kind of conversation about it. Like, my kids are most likely going to believe the things that I believe up until the point where they decide that they don't, and maybe they still will. So, for mm-hmm. me, I, I think one of the differences be- between indoctrination and just like um, healthy structures and and. Even, you know, concrete beliefs versus abstract because kids can, kids just believe things in concretes. They don't, abstract doesn't work for them. So for me to talk to my kid about like a concept of God that exists, but doesn't, and is, but isn't, and doesn't, and isn't anthropomorphic and doesn't probably really talk to us in a way that anyone might think like that's just worthless. Like they're not going to, in the same way that like, I'm not like cause we're fine with that. We're fine with that when it comes to like Santa Claus and the Easter bunny. And we know that they'll shed those beliefs and they'll, they'll Mm. be okay. Now, obviously the difference being God from an evangelical perspective is it's okay to shed beliefs about Santa and the Easter bunny and to equate God with that is a huge sin. But my, my point is just that my children can't think in abstract at this point. And I don't do a great job. I don't really talk to them about God that much. Um, But I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about the same things that I think our parents were like, I, you can tell them, this is what I believe. And they'll just roll with that for a long time, as opposed to, this is what I believe and you should too, or else. And that's, that's the difference. (laughs) It's like one promotes healthy growth and the other one promotes like anxiety and shame and fear and kind of distrust. Once you realize those systems are breaking down. It's- yeah
0: so do you do you think it's harmful to like tell a kid that santa claus exists or is it no
1: no no, no. I, I mean i do Santa. With <laughs> i do so I, it'll just be like because then it's one fun. day it's like santa claus doesn't exist but you know the fear i know like, what well, the fear for parents is they could do the same thing about god like oh you've oh yeah no exactly the Sky daddy exists and now so at it- that
0: point i feel like that should be like its own Logical fallacy, though, to argue like Jesus into the Santa yes. Claus robe, Santa Claus yes. robe. But um, I I feel like the, the difference is, is like a parent trying to raise a child according to their own life experience, because really, that's the only frame that you can raise a kid in is like, this is where we live. These are the people we know. This is the world we inhabit and like we interact with. It's one thing to tell a child that the stove is hot and they should not touch it. It's another thing to say like to have sex before marriage is hot and then they're going to go to hell and they shouldn't do it. Right. Because like one kind of hot, kinda, hot. Kinda hot. <laughs> one can be tested. It's hot in many, many meanings of the word. If we're being honest, I should have put my cage on. <laughs> <laughs> but so one can be tested. A child can touch a stove and learn like my parent was absolutely right about this. Maybe I should trust them with more things, right? I think where things started breaking down for me, and again, it was less my parents than it was the church because I feel like um, something that happened in my own life and honestly something that I'm working with my parents on right now is like I feel like most of my spiritual parenting was almost like handed off to the church or done by proxy, basically. My mm-hmm. parents were like, the church will take care of that side and we'll just we'll just do our thing over here, right? We did the homeschooling thing and all that, Um which still had its elements, you know, like I was raised on a Becca cur- curriculum that's like 6,000 year old earth, uh, right. fake dinosaurs or fake news or whatever the <laughs> hell they want to say. Um, I was raised on that, but even by like seventh grade, I'm like, something seems weird, doesn't it? this doesn't quite line up with what I'm seeing in the world. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of the thing where it's like, you can test the stove is hot with direct experience, but a lot of the things around a spiritual conversation and in the church is like, you can't even really test your, your, the people that raised you. You can't really test their experience because it's so internal to them. And maybe even that was just handed on by their parents and the generation before that, you know, but you can't directly test that the fire fires of hell are, super hot you can't test this yeah you know i think
2: like yeah there's a lot there i mean for one you know just on the santa claus i think part of the reason (laughs) that like santa claus and the easter bunny and stuff like that is fine is because sooner rather than later that belief is not going to be consequential to a kid you know Mm. by the time they Mm -hmm. hit six seven eight they're they're pretty okay with letting Santa Claus go. Maybe not every kid, but most kids, you know. Right on on this this whole segment, I think where it becomes a, a real problem, and maybe not maybe this isn't where it begins. But one of the problems that that I had is that it was very much taught us a part of a worldview of like it's us versus them, and you have to protect yourself mm. from them. Yeah, and that's you know we. We do that in a lot of different ways. I mean, we don't hang out places where those type of people hang out. Uh, We go to this tiny Christian school with 40 kids so that we can protect ourselves from the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. We go to church with the exact same people. Uh, We need you to go to a Christian college when you're done. Like there's all of those things. And those weren't all like instigated on me. Like I learned that mentality. And then I did those things, you know, like I protected myself from outside viewpoints and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, And I, I, but I think that that ultimately, like, everyone is going to have to test those ideas, you know, and some people and we all know people who, for one reason or another, you know, just kind of like, reach that, that, that high watermark and just said, Nope, I'm going straight back in like, and they just buckled down on those beliefs and went back to church and protected themselves from any outside influence. But yeah, for me, like, I think that's why it was, it made it really hard for me. Like, I had a really tough adjustment period. Oh, yeah. When certainly. I finally had to leave the nest and, you well, know. Well, yeah. It would be like, for some reason, you're reminding me
0: of uh, the Shyamalan movie, The Village, right? With the, <laughs> yeah. Yes. The yellow robes and the red robes and all that. Like, that color. It would be as if you, like, hopped the fence and discovered that, like, a park ranger in a pickup truck is on the other side of that fence. And like now your entire world is transformed. And like th- that movie has a lot of things to say. And it's, you know, it's, it's convenient that you send the blind girl over cause she can't actually see it. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it would be as yeah. if you hopped the fence and some people just want to be like, I just want to go back to the, the village where we're like lighting oil lamps and <laughs> reading books that were published 80 years ago where all the elders still know, like, there's a whole world of crime and, and evil going on outside. And we just wanted to insulate ourselves, you know?
2: Yeah. And uh, there's so many facets to all of this, but you know, going back to like your purity ceremony thing, like why have that purity ceremony? Mm. It's for a reason. And it really has a lot to do with indoctrination. It's we make this, Mm. we don't just teach this idea, but we make this in this huge formal thing out of it to make it that much more consequential for you. Well, yeah, it's,
0: it's to create memories and to create like an emotional moment that sticks with you so that you can like, I mean, honestly, if like a wedding ceremony is probably the exact same thing. Like it's the thing that's appealed to when your, your marriage gets in like a really tough situation. Like you appeal to like, remember the vows we said, you know, and, In that way, like, I think the, the, the church leadership that ran me through a purity ceremony is essentially just saying like, you know, he's obviously going to get horny. He's obviously going to be tempted. And if we can create a moment that is special to him and that he can remember back, like he was, he was part of a group that all believed the same thing and they were excited to make that agreement together. And like, there's a physical representation of it. Like, again, that's what we do in marriage. And that's one of those things, like it's, it's a big deal. In like in shows, when uh, the husband goes out to a bar and takes his ring off, right? It's like, ooh, what is he, what is he going for? Right? Because like, <laughs> right. somehow that invalidates <laughs> his marriage, or like, it's it's a way for him to hide it. So like, yeah, it's it's indoctrinating to do the ceremony like that. But I still even think that there's a way that that can be interpreted as they were simply in good faith trying to do what was what they thought would be best for me in the long run
2: you know? Sure. It's not necessarily nefarious, but it, but it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a methodology. There's a methodology to it, you know?
1: I think one of the things that's becoming very apparent over time, uh, for people who have left the evangelical culture is that there could have been a few bad actors, but by and large, the people I knew were honestly doing what they thought, was best. And that just doesn't matter anymore. Like, and that's where I'm kind of falling is like, you can honestly think that what you were doing was best for somebody and still traumatize them. You can honestly Mm, do what mm -hmm. you think is best for somebody. And still, I mean, how many of those like crazy overprotective parent stories have we heard where it's just like, like their kids are practically locked in closets because they're so afraid of the outside world. Like there is a level of which protection in, in, in in being genuine and, Mm -hmm in your response to your beliefs is like is just dangerous or problem now or problematic and i just am like so do i think that they were bad actors do i think that i no i think that they're misguided in their understanding about sex and its impacts on people um as much as i think that they're misguided about you know what happens when your theology changes and what happens when you just don't believe in anything anymore like Mm -hmm. but and, but that also is what makes them like, there is, there still is, I think an element of that is kind of going back to the culty shit we were talking about earlier that, that element of control in it. Like, you know, at some level it's bothering these people in their fifties a little too much that people, they barely know whose children are having sex are doing that. Like, it's like, you shouldn't be that invested. And you, the fact that you are shows like how, how much you think that you need to be in control. And of course their explanation is that it's God and it's God's will. And they want to help people live out God's will. Cause that's what's best for them. But mm-hmm. sorry. I just like, it's hard to fucking care like that about that justification or explanation, even if you're a good person in the way that you present yourself, or if I could have a meaningful conversation with you, or you wouldn't write me off because I don't think the same like you, but there's still that element of distrust I have for those type of people, because I don't even know that a, a sincere conversations possible because I would think in the back of their mind their their only hope is that I would change mind there's an angle hmm yeah it's just I just don't I can't trust those kinds of people anymore and if they're that concerned where they want to construct these ceremonies around it's like I know so I hear what you're saying about the intent and because mm-hmm. they believe that that's right and they want to set up this thing that you'll remember in that way that'll help you stand on your convictions and I get so it's like they think that that's all good and if they are right then that is good. But if you're wrong, it's disastrous. And what we've seen through human psychology and just general progressive values. And I mean, really just life experience. What, I mean, I, I, the, the evidence is stacking up that they are just emphatically wrong. And Mm -hmm. if you want to double down super hard on something you're emphatically wrong about, you're just, you're just hurting people at that point. Mm
2: -hmm. You're talking about like, like, those types of of people, I, you know. The other day, my sister and her husband were were in town, and we got to talking about some of this stuff. And a family friend who was a person in leadership at their youth group. Uh, when they were still, my sister and her husband started dating when they were like fourteen, and okay. dated all through high school and college and stuff, and then got married. Right? Yeah. When when they were still in high school, this person with without my parents knowledge or consent or even talking about it with anything approached my, my sister and her boyfriend and said, you know, you guys just need to get married. Like you need to get married and go do it right away because you know, you're just playing with fire. You're risking, you know, you've been dating for too long. It's time for you to get married. You just need to go do it. And you know, you talk about people's intentions and stuff and like, yeah, we, we all know what the intention was there. It was, it was, we got to make sure that these these two kids don't, you know, do something dumb and have to pay for the consequences of it for the rest of their lives. What, you know, whatever the thought. process. So get married was. at
1: 16 years old and they can have, wipe that problem off. the
2: table. Yeah. And, and that's where like the priorities are so ridiculous. And, and like you said, it's hard to trust some of those people because they to them. To marry someone, you know, to be a child and to marry another child, basically, or to be, an, you know, out of that high school level anyways, to be an adult and marry someone that you barely know, that's a better option to them than than the risk of potentially like losing your purity. Yeah. And it's so ridiculous. It's, it's just such a, uh, it's such a ridiculous viewpoint that, <laughs> you know, yeah. once you're out, like you just, once you've... Once you've spent some time away from that like emphatic purity message, you just listen to that and you're like, that is so dumb. Like I know those people. I know people who did what you're saying and then like ruined years of their lives or had you know, a messy divorce or mm. well, married an abusive person. Yeah, Like they didn't even big. know because they didn't know that person when they married him, they were just so ready to marry at, you know, at, at a premature time and, the judgment—I mean, their judgment—is just not. It's not good, and it. Yeah, attention's fine, but your judgment is bad.
0: Mm, yeah, that—that that was definitely the message I had internalized. Like, I got married when I was twenty yeah Um,
1: yeah you're dude we're like there's a lot of parallels between our lives man
0: i know we discovered that during k and p and it was pretty it was pretty wild (laughs) yeah um but yeah i got i got married when i was 20 and that was part of the the message that i had internalized and it was like you know i'm still dating this person even after having however many like sexual moral failings um like with each other in high school like there there may have been for a time a little bit of like a sense of guilt where it's like well we did take each other's virginity so i should marry her like almost like a oh, honor gross. code you know that was something mm. i had internalized too by the time i was getting married that was certainly not my motivation like i genuinely like love the hell out of this woman she is like she is my best friend and has been my best friend for 11 years now like our anniversary is in 2 weeks our 6 year anniversary of marriage like she is my best friend and it's been absolutely fantastic to getting get to know each other but like the real getting to know each other came after we got married and got a ton of that sexual energy out of the way and now it's like okay now we can start having the conversations that probably would have mattered more
2: yeah. you know it's just just you know throwing in a note current best friend current best friend, <laughs> current right. Best friend. right yes yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. With the callback, Casey. I'm so proud
0: of you. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, it is I, I am thinking like the the phrase like alternative culture is kind of going on in my head now. Um, like with with the way our conversation is going, it's it's fascinating to me that like there is there is a way, probably just a poor rationalization, but there's a way that evangelicalism has come has become like kind of the it's like a countercultural movement that truly believes that they they don't have a culture of their own and that they are truly just like pure objective neutral and like yeah, uh, yeah. right like they can yeah. define themselves as the counterculture against like I don't know liberal values or the globalists or whatever and they're just like yeah but the world is this way we don't have a culture we just are not that culture you know
2: yeah that <laughs> like yeah. luciferians very
0: yeah. much well i mean like i feel like it, it's kind of revealed in the way like you would see at the Christian bookstore, right? It's like, if you like primus or Nirvana, you'll love cutlass or whatever. Right. And yeah. then <laughs> like, they put the the skillet record next to the thing that you were probably honestly wanting to listen to more anyway. Cause that's, that's how I grew up too, is like, I would go in and like be looking for new music and I would go to those charts because like, I would hear friends in high school talk about like, yeah, I'm into these bands. I'm like, oh, I shouldn't listen to secular music. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to go find the Christian, it, the Christian, like alternative culture version of it. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, thank goodness. I've lost that too, because I've honestly discovered way better music.
2: In, yeah. the, in the meantime, I'm fully ready to nerd out on Christian bands. If you, if you want to go there, Cutlass <laughs> dude was my
0: jam
2: growing up. Oh, like I
0: idolize those guys. I literally, I, I broke the second commandment, idolizing the guys. In college. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. They were doing the, they were, they were like, they were the hard rock thing that I was really into, but they also had like the strong tower worship record out. Right. And I'm like, whoa, so you can do hard music and worship God. Oh man. I Ugh. forgot about that one. Right. You are my, my strong soul. tower. I remember yeah. whenever
1: I would find out that people in like the bands that I liked did were also like worship leaders at their church. It would be like, Oh, so they are really legit. That's good to know.
0: I can, they're cool. They're I cool. Trust this. Yeah. <laughs> my, my first Christian, actually my first concert ever, I went to an acquire the fire conference. I don't know if you guys remember these things. Oh, oh wow. yeah. That's acquire been a frequent topic. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> um, so my first concert ever was Skillet headlining and acquire the fire stop here in Billings, arena tour. And they had just come out with comatose, um, which I was. That's a good tour. It was it was a good one. If I'm honest, the the uh, the show was great. It was the first time I had ever seen a woman play drums. And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. (laughs) You know, as an eighth grader, like everything I thought about the world was just like shattering around me. Really bummed that I didn't see him when they were headlining the uh, Collide record. That was...
2: Collide's my jam. I listened to that, that was,
0: today. That was peak skillet. <laughs> Did you really? That's that's peak, where April and I are at, too. We've been talking about that all the time. Very early peak skillet right there. Yeah, now John Cooper is what? Like, selling books and, like, carrying guns around? Yeah, we're, or
2: whatever? Like We're determined <laughs> to talk to John Cooper because he's a hack, and he doesn't talk to anyone that's not going to, like, welcome his message.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's
1: and he dyes his
0: hair,
2: hair for sure. Yeah. Oh, there's no is... way
0: he doesn't. There's no way he doesn't his dye is his is hair.
2: So dude. You know what his hair reminds me? Remember on The Office when Creed like dyed his hair with the print toner? Somebody <laughs> <laughs> took all the ink out of the printer, and he just looks at the camera like, oops.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that's that's the vibe there. Um But yeah, I mean, like that skillet has. Embodied that like that alter- alternative culture where it's like if you're a fan of Nirvana, you might like Collide, um, so you should listen to that Christian music over there instead of the uh, the secular,
2: you know, uh, <laughs> coastal elites or whatever. Yeah, dude, <laughs> you, know in- you know what's you know funny about that too is is that is Skillet is so typical of so many things like in that youth group culture that we grew up in, where like you worry about this stuff all the time. Like all the time it's on your mind and you, you like fret about it and feel guilty and worry. And then like you have these little things that are kind of like a vacation from it, but they're safe, right? You're not going to get in trouble. Like this is a safe way for you to like, just stretch your legs and forget about that for a second. And it always turns back into a a lesson about Christianity. Like it always circles back. So like, you know, uh, you're gonna have a youth group night and you're gonna watch Lord of the Rings. Well, then you have to have this object lesson about Lord of the Rings and how it relates to Christianity and you just feel like, Man, can't we just have fun for a minute? Like, can I just <laughs> like listen to a, a a rock album and not have to like hear John Cooper talk about like uh like, you know, <laughs> chastity or whatever? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The object I feel lesson like I
0: was- we even had moments where, like, we would play an extra long game of ultimate frisbee, and somehow the youth pastor was able able to like shoehorn in, like, "Remember that epic catch from earlier? Like, Jesus does the ultimate catch! Oh. Like,
2: <laughs> oh my god! god. Just the cool Remember guy. when Michael
0: was like soaring through the air, diving for it in the end zone? And he
2: yeah, <laughs> oh my god, so relatable, Pastor Terry. Right? Yes, <laughs> thank you." Guys, how good is bacon? Am I right?
0: <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Man, I, yeah, the, uh, just the progression of skillet, like from my early days to now, it, kind of, it, it, it really does. It's like that, uh, revealing agents of like, you were counterculture, quote unquote, for a while. Like, you were, you were so proud of like going against the mainstream and you created your own culture in the process, but you are, you refuse to call that your own culture that Jesus would probably be against too. You know, like, like you Did created you? a whole structure and organization around the thing that Jesus was also critiquing in his ministry. Yeah. You know?
1: It's certainly ironic. I, <sighs> the subculture is so frustrating, but the insulation of it is what I think is so aggro- And of course the insulation of like culture happens everywhere. So like, there are plenty of like people espousing liberal ideology that, you know, are all it's just all a big like uh, echo chamber of just like, yes, yes, that's amazing. And they only listen mm-hmm. to that. And like, you know, and this is kind of, what, kind of a bit of a callback to what we talked about when Dan Koch was on. Is just like how much how much information do you absorb from people you don't agree with? And it doesn't have to be equal, but it should be something. And if you are the kind of person who is refusing to absorb or listen to and think about information that doesn't make you naturally go, yes, I agree with that, then you're probably doing yourself a bit of a disservice. And I but so I'll critique that on the left, certainly. But um, on the right, I think, especially within evangelicalism, like what Casey was saying, like there I mean they have to be turning down interviews left and right to have meaningful conversations with people that are just like, can we talk about this? Cause you're yeah. spending a lot of time talking about what liberals and liberal Christians are like and how dangerous they are. But you refuse to actually have a conversation with them on any public platform as a public figure. And that seems right. that screams being disingenuous. It's like, it goes back to that whole distrust thing. Like I don't, you're building a, a cult
0: following. Well, And if we're being honest, it's just so much easier for John to do his like four minutes on Fox News than it would be spending 90 minutes with you guys. Like, like having a conversation about like, look, dude, I grew up in the exact same spot, like, but now I'm in a completely different place. So let's, let's get to the root of like where our paths forked, you know, like what brought me a different direction. It's just easier for him to not do that. Like the the barrier to entry is so much higher <laughs> yeah. To do I'm like, sure money yeah. and
1: fame has nothing to do with keeping him in his lane either. I'm sure <laughs> hey man,
0: yeah. he, he's got to sell books, right?
2: <laughs> I, I, I feel like we were just talking about this whole thing the other day. and there is even though he and April and I are both out of that culture. there's still an element of it. Like I liked skillet. I like some of those old albums still. I enjoy listening to it. and there's a part of you that like looks at what they're doing now, they're mainstream successful obviously doing really well they're on the radio all the time there's a part of you that wants to be like that's kind of cool that they made it you know like they did they went that far but he's just so awful like some (laughs) of the things he says it's like you can't even be happy for him you know (laughs) yeah
1: that's how it feels now he's never gonna come on we just it's like the amount of shit we've talked about him on this oh sorry he won't oops this this has been an ongoing conversation since we started this thing. We'll what are the guys out. from Pillar like, doing? Maybe speaking, <laughs> oh my God,
0: Pillar! What a throwback, man. I <laughs> I got to tell you, I, so like in the same way, Cutlass was like my my band idol or whatever. Um, uh, you, you've named dropped him already, but like knowing that I, this is just both a humble brag and also like. You guys are doing a really good podcast because knowing that I'm gonna show up in the same feed as John Steigard and Dan Coke, I'm like, I'm (laughs) not worthy. (laughs) This feels so weird.
2: Dude, you managed to fit in way more penis jokes than both of them combined.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, thank you. Thank you. i take my bow then. Yes. <laughs> so you are worthy. You are worthy.
1: Yeah.
2: It. See, because
0: see, there's the narrative again,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You sang too many worship songs to get you into that mindset before joining us here, I think is the problem. There you go. There you go.
0: Yeah. Because Hawk Nelson was my jam too. <laughs> that and Disciple. I saw I saw a show that was literally the lineup was Hawk Nelson, Stellar Cart, Disciple and Cutlass headlining, and it was like, I, it was a transcendent moment in my face. <laughs> just like they're all here in one room.
2: It was Dude, wild. disciple was good. That that self titled album was that was the, that was my jam.
0: Scars remain was the album that kind of broke me into just full on metalcore. I started getting into like Haste the Day and August Burns Red after that, and I've never gone back since, if I'm honest, like metal core metal music is like all I listen to. If it's my choice and like my wife isn't in the car because she can't stand the stuff, um, that's it's still all I listen to. And uh, I'm trying to get my, a high
2: percentage of yeah. it for me, too. I try
1: to like put it on my kids every once in a while, but it's a little much for them. So it's not not happening as much as I would like. But every once in a while, something that blend, like bridges that gap um, sure they'll be got to get some paints. clean
0: vocals in there you know yep. repeatable hooky chorus yep yeah we'll
1: uh, get into uh, it yeah, absolutely steven why don't we um why don't we get into you talking to us a little bit about the twelve thousand podcasts you're doing
0: <laughs> Twelve thousand, yes divided by how many to get to the three i do um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's hard enough for us to do one so the fact that you're doing three is pretty uh that's a lot yeah, so you're a hustler yeah you're going for it
0: man Podcasting is an art form that I am just, I'm so glad it exists. Um, When I got my job here in Laurel, I work for a refinery here in town, uh, like a drafting and design job. So it's a lot of desk work and I have the tremendous freedom um, to basically like, as long as I'm not ignoring engineers that have to come talk to me or like collaborating in a meeting or something, I can listen to whatever I want. So when I first started working this job, I... Uh the first podcast I ever listened to was the Bad Christian podcast. Um because I, I'd been following Emery forever and I was like, what? They have a podcast now? Absolutely. I want to talk about that or listen to that. So binged like their 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 entire back catalog and then got current and I've been listening to them and member of the BC Club ever since. But that kind of like awoke in me this love for this like audio medium where anyone can listen at any time. Uh, it's like basically like on-demand talk radio, even the functionality of listening a little bit faster. I don't know about you guys. I listen to almost everything at 2x now. I'm just one of those
2: crazy. <laughs> Dang, dude, you're trying Whoa, to get through. that's a bridge I haven't crossed.
0: But I don't know. It's, it's just something that I, I trained in myself. Eventually, you just want to be like, I want to listen to more shows. So I just got to like shrink it up I, a bit. I only did but.
1: times two speed in college and I was trying to get through some of my online classes. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever managed that does to- does the trick. Get through things on times two speed. <laughs> right,
0: that does the trick. But so what What Bad Christian kind of taught me was I, I, I just loved showing up every week to the three of those guys back when Joey was on the show. The three of them just like, telling fun, entertaining stories about their life and also getting into topics that I was becoming interested in. Like if anything, bad Christian is the most, like you can lay the most blame at their feet for my deconstruction process. Because like I was pretty much following in parallel everything that Joey Svenson had questions about, especially regarding hell, um, like the nature of hell and eternal, eternal conscious torment and all that. Mm-hmm. I, I pretty much like was in step with him the whole time and it just like it kind of transformed the way i think and that was one of those things where it's like man if podcasts can do this for me like i love the idea of being on my own show like i've always uh kind of like fantasized about being on the tim Ferriss show as well i love the way that guy interviews people and just the people he has on are just like endlessly fascinating to me but i know like i'm not like a multi-million venture capitalist or (laughs) or angel investor (laughs) or whatever, or like peak performer of anything, right? And I'm like, it's going to be forever. So I might as well just... What I wanted to do with my first show, No Normal People, was basically create this space for other people who also wanted to be interviewed like that, but that were like literal normal people like me. I just wanted to create a space where we can just like have conversations, get into whatever they want to talk about, kind of talk about their the way they were raised, where they grew up, what their family was like, um, and just tell stories from their life, and then talk about whatever anyone is passionate about. So, my wife and I named the show "No Normal People," and uh, our our clever clever little artwork it has K N L W, but parentheses around the N and the O, so you can read it as like "Get to Know Normal People," but also that there are really no normal people once you're willing to have an in depth conversation with someone, right? So, like if you open up a podcast for ninety minutes, you get into all crazy stuff. We can talk about penis cages. <laughs> or we can talk about our favorite metal music. Right. And <laughs> yeah. And the way we grew up. Um, so that's that's kind of what happened. Uh we were gearing up to start that show at the end of 2019. And we released our first episode of 2020, and we were like, this will just go slow. We're gonna do like a few episodes here or there. We really hadn't considered like putting any work into like let's get this every week, let's get the social media like tip top shape and all that kind of stuff. Um but then a global pandemic hits, and then you have a ton of free time.
1: Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so, when and the just, concept for this thing started was like, <laughs> hey, what about uh, what about this? Right. now, we've talked about it before. Yeah. Now-
0: <laughs> there, there was a there was a benchmark just before March of 2020 where the internet hit uh, one million podcast feeds. Yeah, it's crazy. And just an absolute explosion, explosion in the market after COVID, like everyone was like, well, shit, if we're already doing Zoom calls, we might as well record them, right? Let's yeah. <laughs> do something. Um, yeah. So no normal people was certainly born out of the pandemic, but it's it's a really fun excuse isn't the right word. It's just a fun uh, space to create, to just have one person on at a time and get to know them. Uh, Sam, that's how you and I really got to know each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a delight. It's a great and, episode. And really. Oh, thank you. I, what, okay. I got, I got to talk about Sam's episode real quick. What has stuck with me the longest, Sam, we were talking about your family situation, uh, especially with your foster son. Cause my wife and I are looking at, um, we have our first interview with our caseworker in like a week. Oh, the awesome. Your system here in Montana. Good for you guys. And so we were digging into that. And the thing that has stuck with me the longest that I have not been able to like get out of my head yet is the way you talk about almost reluctantly acting like a Christian because you're so convinced of like the person of Jesus and what that dude said, like, regardless of whatever the church created it to be, like the way you read it is so convincing to you that you find it. It Like, I, I I just can't even, I can't put it better than the way you put it, the, the way you you just said like <laughs> I don't I'm even almost, how I put it. Well <laughs> you basically said like I'm almost doing it reluctantly. Like I Jesus pretty much has to drag me through my life to like take on responsibility that if I'm honest, I selfishly really don't want to take on. Yeah, but a lot because of it has to do the with way,
1: never looking for like I don't feel like I was ever looking for it. It was just like presented to me in my ethic right. made me kind of forced me into saying Yes, I was like, (laughs) I guess so. But it's not to say that it's not like, and it ends up being worth it. And those are the moments in my life or the times in my life where I've seen growth and change and been convinced that it, you know, these are the good and right things to do, I guess. so.
0: And then you almost feel like a a void or a little empty when, you know, those certain chapters come to a close in your life and you're back to like, I have a ton of free nights and I'm just, (laughs) I'm just
1: kidding. By the Hang way, I've had a point in my life where I would really appreciate some more free nights. So maybe when I get him, I can tell you that I uh, missed well, responsibility. Yeah. But.
2: <laughs> Dude, so you're kind of like a Gimli type character. Like you're going to Mount Doom or whatever, uh, but you're complaining the whole way.
1: Probably. That sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that Lord of the Rings reference and yeah. I'll dwell on that for a bit now. The, yeah. the Gimli archetype is
0: the one to explore for sure. I, I like the way you tied that, Casey. Um, so yeah, that's that's no normal people, and ultimately the the message of no normal people in that like, uh, I mean, I, I feel like it even has ties to the conversation we've had just now about in, like indoctrination. Like, you know, normal people can be part of a structure that might be perpetuating trauma and perpetuating issues, but um, like you really get to know them. It's a, it's like that that trope of like even if you have like ideological enemies, the work to put in is to love your enemies and like to humanize them and really what better way to do that than just have a conversation to get to know what makes them them like the way they grew up, uh, like all sorts of st- structures that they grew up inside and like what that has translated into like what they're passionate now. So we, we mm-hmm. talked to a lot of people about like what they do for work, but also some people have podcasts. Some people are doing like photo projects and all that. And it's just something that like, I'm I'm just looking for what makes people excited about their life you know whatever project that is because I think that's just a humanizing thing I I almost um take uh take inspiration as well from Dan Koch's depolarize work right like listening to those interviews of him trying to get to the bottom of like why evangelicals tip so hard for Trump Mm -hmm. and the way him and especially in season two with Ellen Morrow the way they were able to humanize Trump voters I was like this is sticky work. This is hard work, but I really am so convinced that this is like what the world needs is to to, like hear from normal people and know what like makes normal people tick as opposed to like listening to the people that are, you know, the artists or authors that are solely based out of like Austin or New York or LA, these cultural epicenters that you know, like I can only listen to so many Matthew McConaughey interviews before I know exactly what he's going to say. Right. So I do my work to pick and choose. Like I like the interviewer and I like Matthew McConaughey, but I don't need to hear him all the time, you know? So bringing something new to know normal people. And what that did was translate into now our podcast network. We call the Highline Media Network um, with under which my other two shows Ravel and Whiskey Bench land under. And we actually just signed a, uh, a fourth show from my childhood best friend in Denver called the into podcast. Okay. And what we're trying to do is just highlight like we're normal people having conversations that matter, you know, so Ravel like with my co-host, Josh and Emily, we uh, are digging into our past and American Christianity. And really it's less we're doing the work to research our topics. It's more like, you know, I've been really wondering about this thing this week and we're just going to chase down wherever that thread goes. We heard a talk from uh, Peter Rollins, the philosopher and theologian. Uh, Delicious Irish accent, by the way. (laughs) Um, We saw a talk from him that uh, he he dug into and revealed that basically the word "ravel" means the exact same as "unravel." Like the "un" is almost it's just an unnecessary negative that we prefix onto the word "ravel." So to ravel like to ravel a sweater is to literally pull on a thread and see where that thread goes before you like start taking apart the sleeve or something like that. And what, what we liked about that image for that podcast was that, you know, like deconstruction can sometimes have uh, a flavor of like, you know, we're just going to like set C four charges at the foundation of the building and just watch it all crumble, you know? (laughs) Sure. Whereas, whereas to Ravel for us represents like, Yes, we're still having the same conversations as a lot of like ex-evangelical Twitter is having or something like that. But we recognize that, you know, you pull apart the sweater by pulling on one thread. You still have the raw material to make something out of. You're just back to a ball of yarn. And the question is, like, what do you want to make out, out of it after that?
2: You know, I think that's a great we've we've talked about it quite a bit. You know, uh, some of the some of the areas where, you know, Sam and I have talked about, we kind of we don't really track with some of the deconstruction movement is that like just, just fundamentally against Christianity or faith or religion as a whole, you know, after the fact. And like, I, I think me personally, like I admire people who are able to like pick and choose the things that are important to them that are, you know, uplifting and, and comforting and edifying to them and and keep those things and just mm-hmm. discard all the stuff that's not important to them or that's harmful or that's not productive or doesn't line up with their worldview. Yeah. Like, I think that's great. That's ultimately, that's probably the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's too late for me. I don't care anymore. <laughs> don't care it's anymore. almost
0: like someone we've, we've read in the past talks about separating the wheat from the chaff, right? <laughs> like, this sounds of the familiar. that. Talks about that. Yeah, finding the good stuff in among maybe the stuff that just needs to be uh, burned off. Or do you have any farm
2: animal analogies?
0: Farm animal analogies? (laughs) Sheep and
1: goats separate the sheep. There we go. Okay, I'm tracking
0: with you. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what ravel is, and again, it's highlighting. So um, Emily is an ordained Methodist pastor. She's actually pastoring a church out in Wyoming right now. Um, okay. so she's like the most or the least rather normal people on the Highline network right now, because like sh- she has a show talking about theology and she's a pastor, but I grew up with her going, grew up going to high school. Um, she was my first friend in high school that didn't go to my youth group. And, uh, when we met, I truly believed that it was impossible to be a Methodist Christian. Like I was like, <laughs> you're not a Christian, you're just a Methodist. And that like in the same way, I really didn't think Catholics could be Christian either. Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: we've gone down that whole rabbit hole a couple <laughs> of times too. Yeah.
0: And, <laughs> and we've discussed that unravel too. It's like, man, Emily, I really discredited everything that I thought like mainland, mainline Protestant Christ- Christianity was, you know, like you can't be that liberal and Christian at the same time, you know? Um, so that's a good excuse for me to explore like all the preconceptions I was raised with. And, man just talking to my friends about theology is just an absolute blast um the my third show the whiskey bench is with um my friend steven torna he and i grew up in the same youth group we were both homeschooled and uh we we grew up in kind of separate cultures like his his uh his family is like a medical family like right like his dad is a doctor and so like very much different backgrounds, but we were going to the same youth group, getting to know each other and all that. And he's, he's just one of the guys that was like uh, one of my groomsmen in my wedding. He's just like one of those longest lasting youth group friendships that has kind of transcended the, just the, the common touch point we had for a while that was youth group. Um, and honestly, whiskey bench was born out of just an excuse for us to hang out some. So every episode we, uh, we get on with our third co co-host, Kat Dwyer, um, we get on, and actually, I just met Cat in person for the first time since starting the podcast, like thirty oh, episodes wow. ago. We like she was just uh someone that Torna knew that he wanted to have on the show, um, because we knew we were gonna kind of tailor the show toward discussing like culture and politics. Um, so where Ravel definitely doesn't get all that political, Whiskey Bench is the place for us to dive into that. Um, but we start a show with presenting a recipe for a signature cocktail. and um, we talk about the drink, talk about his history and, you know, just crap, a, crack a couple other drinks open and just start talking politics, politics and stuff.
2: There was a clip of that one on the episode that you did with Sam, where he talked about like a Joe <laughs> Biden signature cocktail, yep. the malarkey. I c- yep. <laughs>
1: I can't remember what's in it.
2: What was in it? Was the,
0: jo- the running joke in that episode was that we were going to make a drink centered on, uh, flat sprite so <laughs> the joe biden malarkey that is just simple flat syrup sp- a little bit no. <laughs> i mean kinda but yeah it's just warm flat sprite and hand mush banana no alcohol <laughs> we don't need to give biden any alcohol man
2: the guy has enough gaps as it is <laughs> I was gonna say you just do like you know ZQueL and metamucil stir with like a hover around joystick <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah yeah man um that That show in particular has been teaching me a lot lately. Um, When we first started the Whiskey Bench, I was honestly treating it more as like, I'm just going to hang out with friends and like shoot the shit. I kind of wanted it to be that because like Ravel definitely has a focus. So does no normal people um, in interviewing other people. But uh, I have gone through a transformation where basically like, I realized that my co-host really wanted to talk about politics a lot more than I did. So I kind of came out of the gate on that show like, I don't really pay attention or care about politics all that much. And once they convinced me that I should, I realized that I was a lot more left leaning than I thought I was, especially being raised here in Montana. I'm like, <laughs> Oh man, I am living in the wrong city sometimes. Um, but the, uh, the common thread, especially um, amongst the three of us, it's like, if you're interested in politics for more of a libertarian mindset, we, we do find ourselves like tipping right or left, But we're we're the three of us are all kind of libertarian, depending on, you know, how you define that. Um, But man, that one has been just teaching me so much. Again, it's just like normal people who have thoughts on politics. And for me, like because I'm still mostly political, politically agnostic is the way I like to say it. I I just learn a lot listening to other people and just asking the questions that are like genuinely curiosities for me, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense, you know. Like, yeah, I don't do a ton of thinking about it. Casey, probably in the same way, you don't do a ton of thinking about theology anymore. I just politics is not the way I go. Like if if I'm thinking about anything, it's usually something about the Bible or the way <laughs> the way we were raised in theology and what we can change about it. So, yeah, yeah. it's a great I time. I go down that road a good bit still, too. Right. I mean, that's kind of the driving question for what no normal people is, is like, what can you think and talk about when you have nothing else to think and talk about? Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: I think that's great, man. I think you're doing some fun stuff. I like that you've turned into a network. Um, hope you, uh, continue to see some growth and success with those. I think you guys are doing some cool stuff and I had a ton of fun doing no normal people. Is that, I mean, if you're a normal person, you can do it. If you want to just talk to somebody about your thoughts and opinions, like I'm sure you get people are just like, I have these, I have an idea or I want to talk about this. And you just, people just go to your website and sign up for it.
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. If you go to Highline.network and find the No Normal People page, there's literally a section where you can enter your email and say you want to be on the podcast and we'll get you on the schedule.
1: So there you go, listeners. If you want to show how normal you are and talk to this fun guy here, then you can... Uh, and
0: ultimately prove that you are aren't as normal as you probably yeah. <laughs> think you are. I have so many people in DMs, like in prepping for interviews. I have so many people approach me and say like, thank you for asking, but like, why me? I feel like I'm so boring. And I'm like, aha, just wait for me to prove you wrong.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Man, Steven, I don't know if you have any um final thoughts before we sign off here. You can, anything else to throw out, anything else to plug or if those three pod, the, just those podcasts is it. <laughs> just those.
0: I will say that um the, the newest show on the Highline Network is one I'm really proud of is my childhood best friend where he and I Um, we were best friends. Like our, our parents were friends growing up there in Colorado. And, uh, we ended up moving to Iowa when I was like four or five. Um, so like 20 years later during the pandemic, I just reached out to him on Instagram. I'm like, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but like we used to be best friends. Right. And, uh, we've, we've started talking and he's like, he's basically my operations arm of the network at this point. And he hosts the into podcast, um, on the Highline network where he talks with his best friend, his wife and his parents about a lot of things like this. Interesting, uh, man, the, especially that, that age diversity on that podcast is so, so cool to me. Just hearing multiple generations discuss ideas like two hours plus on the idea of consent. Um, Oh boy. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine talking about consent with your parents. Yeah. Just sit with I that for not
1: a to. second. I'm tr- Alex is brave me. enough
0: to do that, and it's awesome.
1: <laughs> that's, I like that concept a lot, man. If there's anything that's come up a lot since we've been doing this, it's that a lot of people haven't had these, I don't know about this. I'm not a Christian. Like so many, it, sometimes people have gone in a far direction of just like, I've had to cut my parents out of my life completely. And then you Mm -hmm. have people who are like, I've still never told my parents that I think this way. And uh, I don't think that for anyone really, as who grew up like that, uh, starting a podcast with them is on their radar. So it's a bold move and I'm sure it has a lot of interesting results. (laughs) It's very bold.
0: It's incredibly entertaining. And it's one of those, I just listened to it and I just feel like it embodies that, that like normal people Highline network ethos, right? A lot of a lot of the shows that we're looking at, even signing onto the network soon are a lot more conversationally based like this, like pretty much what you guys are doing as well. Just um, you, you can have John Steigart on and you can have Stephen Henning on. And I love the the contrast of that. You're not just going for the big names because like we all have a story to tell, right? Yeah,
1: certainly.
2: absolutely, Yeah.
0: So people can find all of that. I'll just push them toward Highline.network is the website. And if you're curious to hear my weird ramblings on Instagram or Twitter, I'm Stephen G. Henning on both Twitter and Instagram.
1: Well, we will tag you on your Instagram when the uh, podcast comes out. Twitter. Fantastic. Do that whole thing. And then um, we'll put the... I um
0: I live most of my internet life on Twitter. I put most um of my focus over there. Instagram is honestly kind of boring
1: (laughs) to me. I'm getting into Twitter a little bit now that we've started with the, I I'm kind of chiming in on stuff here and there and it's fun. It's also a little exhausting. And when I think of how much certain people tweet, I'm like, how do you have this many thoughts to say about stuff all day long? Like, I'm like once a week kind of guy. And there's like, if they're not tweeting 10 times a day, it's like, they're not succeeding at their, their Twitter goals. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. It can kind of feel that. Did you guys uh, see the new Bo Burnham special that he put out on Netflix?
1: I didn't I no. keep hearing I've about heard, it I've heard so much about it
0: he has a fantastic bit you just reminded me of he has a fantastic bit where he's like laying in his studio on a pillow and he just sets the mic next to him and just like eyes closed he just goes on this rant and basically it's like can any of us just shut the fuck up for like 10 minutes please like do we need to constantly get our ideas out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which very funny. And at the same time, I like, I take that to heart a little bit. I'm like, damn, three podcasts later. Like yeah. maybe I should take some of that <laughs> advice myself. To that? <laughs> Oops. Yeah.
1: Right. Man. Oh my god, well, Steven, thanks so much for hanging out with us. This is a great time. Uh, hopefully we'll, uh, I mean, I plan on staying in touch. It's been fun getting to know you and you know, this has been a good time.
0: Oh, it was a blast. Thanks again. Alright everybody, Uh, thanks for listening
2: and we will catch you next time.